love never fails. God is good, amen. Hey, everybody stand to your feet. It's time to worship our God. He's worthy, amen. We love you, Lord. You are worthy, God. Sing this with us. Put our trust in your name. 
loves us so much we cannot escape his love amen lord we praise your name thank you for who you are god thank you that you love us so much thank you that you want us to draw close to you you are beautiful lord
good to us, God. So good to us, God.
Just wanna sit here at your 
relationship with me. You're not a God that's far away. You're a God who wants to be right here, right here. Lord, I love you. I pray that somebody in this place today will realize how much you love them if they did not already know it, that they will leave this place knowing that there is a God who loves them and wants to be with them always, wants to be a part of every part of their life. Lord, I thank you and I praise your holy name. You are a beautiful God and I'm so, so grateful. Lord, I pray that you'll just open our hearts, keep our hearts open to whatever you have for us today and help us to have an encounter with you, a very, very personal one-on-one -on -one encounter with you today. I praise you, Father. I thank you and I love you, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Amen, amen, amen. He's good, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, let's give him a hand clap. Let's give him a shout. Okay, so now is the time when, if you want to, you can get out and about and you can greet the people around you or the people on the other side of the church. If you want to social distance, that's totally great. You just stay where you are and wave to people from afar. But now is your chance to go greet the people. So help yourselves. Walking the wayside Lost on a lonely road I was chasing the highlight Trying to satisfy my soul All 
Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How's everyone? Good? Good. Um, so we're about to do offering, and I was thinking. Uh, so this week we started school in Ponca City, and I'm a teacher in Ponca City, and so I was thinking kind of like some things I like to tell my students when they're learning, and one of the things I, I've been telling them pretty consistently is in the learning process, I want them to not be afraid to fail. And I always give them an example of a toddler learning to walk. So I have two little girls. One of them can walk. One is only three months old, so she obviously uh, hopefully isn't walking yet. She's still kind of crawling. Well, she doesn't even crawl yet. She just rolls around kind of. <laughs> but anyway, when a toddler is learning to walk, they take a few steps, and what happens? They fall down, right? right? And we don't ridicule them. We don't say, ah, look, you only took two steps. You need to learn how to walk. No, we pick them up, and we help them kind of walk, like, walk along, right? And so when I'm teaching my students, I tell them the same thing. Like, hey, we're just learning. Don't, don't think about the failure. Don't think about falling down or the pitfalls or anything like that. Think about the end goal, which is learning to walk. So I always want them to not be afraid to fail because once you don't, once failure is out of your mind, all you're focused on is the goal, the end goal, right? And so I thought of this in the context of like Christianity. Uh, sometimes we feel like we can't fall down. It feels like we need to be perfect. We need to be straight ahead, no problems at all. And if we fall down, uh, sometimes we get down on ourselves. Uh, and we forget that even uh, the Olympics weren't that long ago, right? Even Olympic sprinters sometimes fall down. And they've been literally training their whole lives to do that one thing, to run. And sometimes they fall up, they fall down. So no matter how long you've been a Christian, whether you're fresh and you're just taking a couple steps at a time between falls, or you're sprinting 800 meters and you fall down, either way, falling down is part of life. It's how you pick yourself up and respond. That's the important part. That's where the learning comes in. And uh, I think that applies to everything, including Christianity. Uh, we should always be learning, should always be listening. Uh, listening for that parent picking us up, telling us, hey, you got this, don't worry, keep on walking, and not thinking about failure. Because if there's one thing the devil wants you to have on your mind at all times, it's failure. Uh, he wants to whisper that in your ear and let you know, hey, you're going to fall down, you may not get up this time. But that's just not true. That's not how it works. So if the ushers will come forward, uh, we will get going on that. So there's lots of different ways for you to give. Uh, one that I always forget is you can mail things, so that's exciting. I've only mailed like two things ever in my life. Uh, somehow I got by without ever mailing things. Like that's legit. You can ask my wife. I've never mailed anything. I don't know what a stamp is. Um, but you can mail it to 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City, Oklahoma. Uh, you can text it to PCA Church. Uh, we all have phones, or most of us do, so you can do that to give. Uh, there's online. You can go to PCAChurch.com. Of course, cash and check are great. Uh, you'll get a chance to give that to these guys here in a minute. And there's a kiosk in the back as well if you want to uh, do the kiosk form. So let's go to the Lord. God, I just thank you for this day, and I thank you for everyone in this in the sanctuary. God, I just pray that um, as we go through life and as we go through our day that we, we focus on the goal, God, which is you. We don't think about the failures. We don't think about the moments where we fall down or we take three or four steps and then we fall down. We, we don't want to focus on the failures, God. We want to focus on the end goal. And that's how we learn, God, and that's how we get to know you better. So I just pray that we focus on that today, God, and that as we give our gifts, we just keep our focus on you as well, God. And we know that when we give to you, we grow and uh, that we, we give of our heart. And it, it just it's an amazing thing, God, that you allow us to give to you. So I just pray that we give uh, of our hearts, and I pray that we go on our day focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you, Mr. Stephen. This is ringing a little bit. I think I'm kind of hot in the monitors. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Are you awake? <laughs> Let's try that again. Good morning. I want to make sure you're awake. <laughs> well, I'm excited to get to speak to you this morning. This will be my very first Sunday morning ever to get to speak at PCA Church. And I'm so very thankful to Pastor Bardwell that he um, has allowed me to have this opportunity. Um, they are uh, having a good time, hopefully, on vacation and getting all rested up. And he'll be back next week with some powerful word for you. And so, but today it's me. So let's just pray real quick and then we'll go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak something into our hearts today that we haven't known before or that we need to be reminded of today. Um, Lord, help us to just hear you and um, help us to obey you and take whatever you speak to us and go with it. I pray, Lord, that you will just touch each of our hearts and make us more like you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So... I want to give you a scripture first, Deuteronomy 4.29. I will tell you, Pastor Richard was just making fun of me this morning because I use a lot of scripture. <laughs> I'm not quite using the whole Bible today, but Deuteronomy 4.29 says, but if from there you seek the Lord, your God, you will find him. There's good news, right? If you seek him with all your heart, and with all your soul. Now that's very similar to another scripture that we quote a lot, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. If you go past the first part about where he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. If you go on the next couple of verses, it says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. I love, love, love that scripture. So when you read Jeremiah 29, 11, be sure and go on to the next part so that you make sure you get the part where you seek him and you find him because that's where you get that good plan that he has for you, right? All right. So the name of, the, of my message today is find the beat. Find the beat, the heartbeat of God. That should be every Christian's goal, right? To find the beat. Acts 13, 21 through 23 says, Then the people, the Israelites, asked for a king, and God gave them a king, Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king, who testified concerning him. God said this about David. I would love it if he would say this about me. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And then it goes on to say, from this man's descendants, God has brought Israel to Israel, the Savior Jesus. So through David, of course, our King Jesus came as promised. So grateful for that. I want to encourage you today that everyone here has the opportunity and the capability to find the beat. We all can be a person, a man or a woman, after God's own heart. That's God's goal for us. We can. We have the opportunity. We have the ability. So let's look at David's life. We look at David's life a lot because there's a lot of great things from David. There's some things that aren't so great from David as well, but there's a lot of great stuff from David. 
So the fact is, we've already read a scripture where God said himself that David is a man after my own heart. And he's also said that he will do everything that I tell him to do. So we know David is a person who wants to please God, right? He's a great example to us. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, it says, this was back when David was a young person. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. I love that, the spirit of the Lord. I want that powerfully on me, right? David knew God. David knew God. And with that knowing God came a confidence in God. He was very confident in God. Now, I know actually Pastor Richard talked about this part of the Bible on Wednesday, so you should be familiar with it. It's one of our favorites anyway, David and Goliath, right? We all love the story of David and Goliath. The thing I want to point out in this is I love how much uh, David knows his God will do what he said he'll do, right? He's like, I'm, I'm telling you this. So the giant Goliath um, of the Philistine army, I think, I mean, he was huge. He came out to taunt the Israelites. They were all lined up in battle. And he would come out every morning and every night for 40 days saying, send out your best man to fight me. Well, the Israelites were like, no, you're too big and scary. We're not going to do that. And so David, his father, had sent him down to check on his brothers. And while he was there, he heard this he heard Goliath, and he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who does he think he is? David, at this point, he was young. It says he was a youth, and the armor wouldn't fit him. Saul's armor wouldn't fit him, so he was coming up against a Goliath. No armor, no sword, no spear, no javelin, just his trusty sling and his five stones, right? And he went up against the Goliath who had on this heavy armor and big sword, big spear, right? But David knew his God. Who is this Philistine to go up against the armies of the living God? Such confidence. He has such confidence that he said, Goliath, this is what is about to happen to you. And he believed God would do it. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of all you Philistines to the, to the birds and to the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. But the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran at him. Reaching into his bag, he took out a stone, he slung it. He struck the Philistine right on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and he killed him. And then David ran and stood over him. He took Goliath's sword. He drew it from the sheath. He killed Goliath and he cut off his head. The Bible's violent. Did you guys notice that? 
so violent. But I love that he, he had such confidence in God that he said, this is about what's going to happen. You just watch. You are going to be missing a head soon, mister. And sure enough, God was fighting for them. David knew God. Do you know God like that? When you have a giant coming at you, do you assume, do you talk about how God will win the battle for you? How dare you come up against a child of God? My God will fight for me because I'm his child and I am seeking him. I'm moving closer. I'm finding the heartbeat of God. My God's going to take care of me. I would love to have that kind of confidence with everything that comes at me, wouldn't you? That's a beautiful thing. Some more traits of David. When he sinned, he knew his sin was ultimately against God. He would be broken, contrite, sincerely repent, ask God to blot out his sins. In Psalm 51, here's some excerpts from that. This is after he had sinned with Bathsheba, a married woman, committed adultery with her. This is what he said. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I love that. I love that. Another trait or quality of David's. David praised and worshipped God with abandon. Unashamed, undignified. He was very exuberant in his praise and worship, and he didn't care what people thought. He put God first. So now we're going to talk a little bit about the story of King David bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. And I think we probably need to take this down a little further in the monitors because I'm probably going to move around a little bit, and I'm concerned it's going to make noise. Thank you. So I'm going to just summarize 2 Samuel chapter 6 for you. So the first time... They were, trying to take, they were trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. David took 30,000 men. That's a lot of people. And they were bringing the Ark of God home, and they had it on a cart pulled by oxen. And Uzzah and Ahio were, God, were guiding the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating and dancing with all their might and with instruments. They were having a good old time. They were having a party. But then it came crashing to a halt. The oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out to steady the ark. And the Lord's anger burned against him because he touched it. And because of this irreverent act, God struck him down, and he died. That seems unjust. We don't understand why God would do that. He was just trying to do the right thing to keep the ark from falling, right? But we got to remember God is God and we are not. And our thoughts are not his thoughts, right? We don't understand why he does sometimes what he does. David didn't understand it either. He was angry with the Lord. He was angry because of the Lord's wrath. Had broken out against Uzzah. 
He was afraid of the Lord that day. How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me, he said. He left the ark at Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. So later, when David heard about that, he said, hey, let's go back and get the ark of God. Let's bring it back to the city of David. And it says they did it rejoicing. I was looking up online, and they said by modern roads, the trip from where Obed-Edom lived to Jerusalem was about 12, 12 and a half miles. So they're doing this on foot. That's a long, that's a long little trip there. This, this time, David wanted to be extra careful to please God. Men were carrying the ark. There was no more cart, no more oxen. And it says, when they had taken six steps... David sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. So this is going to be a pretty long journey because they're walking, they're dancing, because it said they're having a party, right? That's the way they do things. Uh, on foot, not modern roads, sacrificing animals. It's going to take a while, right? David wanted to be extra careful to please God. He didn't want a repeat of that Uzzah incident. So then it says, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Have you ever wondered what kind of dances they were doing? Anybody ever think like me? Hmm, wonder what their dance looked like. Was it just, hey, God, we love you. Hallelujah. Was it kind of some freestyle kind of, yeah. <laughs> The Bible kind of talks like it, David's dance was pretty wild. But I wonder if, you know, because there were thousands of people traveling, I wonder if somebody said, hey, we've got to get organized. We need to choreograph this thing because if somebody makes a wrong move, you'll get trampled by people. I wonder if, wonder if they had like the same dance that they would do. It had to be something you know, I mean, David was, maybe it was like this. Yeah, no, but wait a minute. This one, I'm just going forward and backwards, so I'm not going to get too far. We're never going to make it to Israel doing this, right? We're never going to get there. It did say in the Bible that David was leaping. Now, this would get you pretty fast, right? This would get you there pretty fast. It would also wear you out. Ah, I'm working hard for you people today. <laughs> I'm sweating. Anybody else? <sighs> Maybe something like, hey, you guys know grapevines? Did you do grapevines? That would get them there. <laughs> or, oh, how about this? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm getting my aerobic workout. How about this one? See if I can do this without falling over. <laughs> Not very good. Have to practice that one some more. That one probably wouldn't work. You know, it would get them there. But in sandals and dirt roads, you'd get all that dirt in your shoes. Plus, it could be dangerous because you have thousands of people going backwards. You come to a hole, people start falling in. It wouldn't be good. Okay, so anyway, as they danced into the city of David... Jerusalem, David's wife, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window 
She saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. 2 Samuel 6, 20 through 23. Later, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. King, the king had taken off his royal garments, and if they look anything like you see sometimes on the queen of England, that would be hard to dance in. I'm just saying. Um, but she thought he had humiliated himself by dancing so extravagantly and by not wearing his royal garb. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone in his household when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Verse 23 says, And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. God didn't like her attitude, and she paid the price for it. Let's go to the New Testament now. There was a woman who seemed to find the heartbeat of God. She found the beat. In Luke 7, 36 through 50, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I would have liked to have seen how they eat because they recline when they eat. I would like to have seen that. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he thought, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she really is, that she is a sinner. Well, of course, Jesus knew what he was thinking. So Jesus said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Okay, he said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, and neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave both debts. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped 
kissing my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Can he do that? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So what did we see in her life? She was so grateful, so in love with Jesus. She sought him out. Remember, if we seek him, we will find him. We need to remember that. We have to seek him, but if we do, we'll find him. She went into a Pharisee's or the religious leader's home, uninvited. And we also know because of the text of the, in the word that there were other people there too. So it wasn't just this Pharisee and Jesus. There were other people. She sacrificed her bottle of perfume. She sacrificed her pride. She made an undignified spectacle of herself. Weeping on the floor. Washing Jesus' feet. Drying his feet with her hair. Kissing his feet. The Bible talks about how washing someone's feet was, or not, well, that was really kind of done by the slave people of the rich people, right? <laughs> that was a lowly thing to do, to wash someone's feet. But I can't imagine, you know, enough tears. I cry a lot. You've seen me cry already once today. I'm about to cry now. But <laughs> I can't imagine having enough tears to wash someone's feet. And then, you know, I, that's just... That's such a beautiful picture to me. Jesus could have shooed her away. But he knew her heart. He knows all of our hearts. He knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking right now. <laughs> he knew her heart. She knew, he knew that she was seeking after him, trying to find the heartbeat of God. She wanted to find the beat. And he allowed her to do that. What would we have done in that situation? Say we were bystanders even. You know, we're so um, socially conscious these days. And that would have been a very unusual scene. Have you ever been at somebody's house when somebody comes in and starts weeping over somebody's feet and washing their feet? And, you know, I mean, that's just, that would be so strange, wouldn't it? We don't want to be thought of as weird or different, you know, if it, although we are supposed to be different than the world, by the way. <laughs> Most of us don't want to be part of a spectacle. We might have backed away. I'm not a part of that. I don't know her. <laughs> How would we Christians react if we were there watching? It probably depends on what your heart um, do you really know the heartbeat of God? I would love to get to see Jesus face to face, wouldn't you? But if we're too proud to be a part of a spectacle, you know, we'd probably back away. Too proud to acknowledge our Savior and our King, our God. 
But imagine if you had an opportunity actually to meet Jesus face to face like she did, you know. What would you do? What would you say? If your heart's in the right place, man, you know, Lord, thank you for forgiving my sins. and Thank you for protecting me all those times when the enemy tried to kill me. I know he's tried to kill me many a time. Thank you for providing my needs so richly, God. Thank you that you're always with me. You're always guiding me. I never have to feel alone. You're so beautiful, Lord. Our God is good, amen. Maybe he's delivered you from addiction. All kinds of sin, right? Sin is sin. Maybe he's healed your broken heart. He's healed some broken places in my heart. He's healed me physically. Maybe you've had him heal you physically. Our God is good. So let's look at David and the woman's relationship with God. So David, he had had a long relationship with God, right? Because we know when he was a young person, that's when God said, that is a young man after my own heart. When David led the people moving the Ark of the Covenant, he could have said, I need to be a dignified leader. But no, instead he said, I'm going to be undignified. Praise the Lord. Ha! <laughs> right? The sinful woman, her love for Jesus, it seemed to be new, but it was lavish and it was extravagant. She exhibited traits of a person seeking the heartbeat of God. She was an outcast a sinful woman who the religious leaders looked down upon. They all knew who she was, or at least this one did. She could have easily been intimidated and decided not to go. Not to go to this home uninvited or unwanted. But she loved Jesus more than she loved the approval of others. Do we love Jesus more than we love the approval of others. She was determined to seek him out even if she was humiliated. These two people, David and this woman, people determined to find the beat, people after God's own heart. So what does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? Well, first of all, you got to get close, right? If you want to hear somebody's heartbeat, you have to be real close. So how do I get close to God? You might say, I cannot see him. I cannot hear him. I cannot touch him physically. Well, it starts with faith. It starts with faith. You have to choose to believe that he's real, that he loves you, that he wants to get close to you. You have to believe that his promise is that if you'll come near to him, he'll come near to you. I love that. Believe like a child would believe. You have to spend time with him, getting to know him. Our God is all about relationships. He wants us to have a close, close, close relationship with him. He wants us to have a good relationship with people. He longs for us to love him so much that like David, we will do whatever he asks us to do. So how do I get close to God? If you seek him, then you find the beat, right? Okay, I'm going to tell you some things that you need to do to seek him. And you're probably going to think, they say this all the time. Do you know why we say this all the time? Because it's important. Because we love you 
and we want you to thrive. We want you to live the life that Jesus came for you to have, that abundant life. So this is why you hear this often. And so if you're not doing these things, please, please start today. So we got to study God's word, not just read it real quickly or not just let it gather dust for sure. Study God's word and then apply it to your life. We need to talk with God. We need to listen to God. It's called prayer. We need to be at church. So yay, look at you. You've already done that. We need to be at church on a regular basis, learning more about the Lord. And we need to spend time with other people who know Jesus because we'll point each other to Jesus, right? Iron sharpens iron. All of those things will get you closer spiritually to hear the heartbeat of God. There's an example in John 13 that I really like. And this is an example of John who wrote the book close enough to Jesus that he could have actually heard his heartbeat. Um, It's when Jesus was telling them what's getting ready to happen to him, Uh, you know, the cross and all that. And so John 13, 21 through 26, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked around at one another perplexed and they're like, who's he talking about? Now there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom or his chest one of, the, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. I love that John wrote the book and he says, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. Do you ever do that? I'm the one that God loves the most. <laughs> I know he says he doesn't have favorites, but he is so good to me. I know I'm his favorite. Even though he says he doesn't have favorites, he loves me the most. I love that. So the, the disciple whom Jesus loved leaned back, was leaning back on Jesus on his chest. So he could have literally heard Jesus' heartbeat, right? I love that. I love that. Okay. Like John was close to him physically, that's what we need to do spiritually to get close to hear the heartbeat of God. So when you find the beat, what is your life like? Your life is in harmony. Your heart is in rhythm with the Lord. What's important to him becomes important to you. What burdens him or breaks his heart should burden you, break your heart. If he says, go to the right, we go to the right. If he says, stop that thing in your life, you stop it. If he says, I don't like that thing you're doing there, you need to change that, then you change it. You can ask God to help you with all this, by the way. That's how we actually succeed at life, is asking God to help us with these kinds of things. God is looking for people whose hearts are completely his. Is your heart completely his? Second Chronicles 16, 9, the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him, whose hearts are completely his. You know, there needs to be no locked closets inside. We need to let God into every part of our life. And when you do wrong, when you sin, you admit it. You ask forgiveness. You repent. You ask him to help you not to do it again. When you're in tune with God, you long to please him with your actions. And you care deeply about your motivations behind your actions. What, why are you doing what you're doing? Do you have a right motive? Something might seem right, but if your motive is wrong, God will still see it. He knows everything. God knows we are, none of us, none of us are superhumans. None of us are perfect. But he's looking for deeply spiritual, genuinely humble, 
honest to the core servants who have integrity. We should be the examples of integrity, of morality, right? It's what you do when nobody's looking. Who are you when people are not watching you versus when people are watching you? Are you the same? It really doesn't matter. God sees it all. I mean, yes, we should be the same all the time. But God still sees the real you. He focuses on the inner life, your heart. And those are things that take time and discipline to cultivate. So once we find the beat, once we find the heartbeat of God, how does that affect our lives? It makes us more confident, more confident in God that he will do what he promised he's going to do. Amen? It makes us want to know him more, hunger and thirst after him. It makes us want to obey him. It makes us want to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love other people the way God tells us to. And sometimes we have to ask God to help us do all of that too, right? We should hate sin. When we're in tune with God, we'll hate sin, and we will want to avoid it at all costs, right? Not do it again. It should make us unashamed and even undignified sometimes. Uh, it should help us get rid of our pride. We should care more about what God thinks than what people think. Luke 9:26 says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father of the holy angels. I don't want God to be ashamed of me. How about you? In Galatians 1.10, Paul said, I, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of God. It makes us unashamed of our witness. It makes us want to talk about Jesus. It makes us unashamed and free in our praise and worship. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So as your worship pastor, we're going to talk a little bit about praise and worship. I love to praise and worship. Anybody else love to praise and worship? Yeah. Our God is good. He's worthy of it. Amen. It should be a sacrifice of praise. It should cost us something. And if you're doing the things like I've been doing up here today, it might cost you your pride and your dignity. But you know what? That's a beautiful thing. God doesn't want us to be proud. He does not want us to be proud. So, example of David, dancing with all his might. Amen. Example of the sinful woman down on her knees, weeping, kissing Jesus' feet. What are some of, the, some of the things that these two people have in common? So they loved the Lord so much, they did not allow their pride or their fear to stop them. They did not allow peer pressure to stop them. No matter what the people around them said, they praised and worshiped lavishly. And it was very visual. Every, there was no doubt about what they were doing. Everyone could see it. They became undignified before the Lord. Humiliated in the eyes of some of the people around them. For David, his own wife. For the woman, the religious leader, and maybe some of the other people present, right? To worship unashamed, we must humble ourselves before the Lord. 
and anyone else who's present. David and the woman both gave sacrifices besides their pride and their dignity. Uh, David sacrificed animals, and the woman sacrificed costly perfume. So what does God's word say about how to praise and worship? We're going to look at more scripture. Are you surprised? More scripture. Yay. Okay. I love God's word. Do you love God's word? I kiss my Bible. Does anybody else out there kiss their Bible? I do. I'm just confessions. Okay. So the Bible says that we should sing. Psalm 96, 1 and 2 says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. That's awesome, isn't it? For the worship team, all of you, the whole team, uh, this one's for us. We're supposed to do things with excellence. Psalm 33, 3, sing to him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy. So we need to be playing skillfully and shouting for joy and singing. Okay, clapping. Here's one verse about clapping, but the Bible tells us we should clap when we're praising and worshiping our God. Psalm 47, 1 says, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Amen. Let's practice. Everybody clap. Can you all clap for me? Yeah. Okay. So um, let's, let's do more of that when we're praising and worshiping. Yeah. Raise your hands. Let's all raise our hands. I can't raise my other one because then you can't hear me. But um, in Psalm 134.2, it says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Notice it says in the sanctuary. That means with other people. Like, right? Yeah. Okay. Shout. The Bible says in Psalm 100 verses 1 and 2, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. And we do that, right? So if you haven't ever shouted before, hey, let's just do this. Give me a hallelujah. Everybody nice and loud. Hallelujah. Let's do it one more time. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's just practice for later. I love it. Okay. Psalm 149. This is just some excerpts from Psalm 149. It says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. That's us. When we're together. So this isn't just for when you're home alone. Let them praise his name with dancing. So that's why you see me. You know, once in a while I run out of breath and I can only do so much and still keep singing. But, but the Bible says we should be dancing. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. To dance in church, you got to be kind of humble, right? Because let me tell you, I did not, I wasn't always this way. We'll talk about that in a little, a little bit later. But um, Psalm, I know you're like, go back, calm down, stop it. Um, Psalm 150, some excerpts from that. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with, and then he lists a bunch of instruments. God loves a good band. I'm just saying, God loves the instruments. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So everybody take a nice deep breath. Okay, you should be praising the Lord. Everyone here can breathe. So that's good. That's good. So, uh, so dancing, the Bible says we should dance. Bow down and kneel before the Lord. Not Psalm 95, 6 and 7. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. 
For he is our God, and we are his people of his pasture, the flock under his care. This scripture, yes, you should be doing these things at home. You should spend some time praising and worshiping, dancing around your house and on your face before the Lord at home. But it also talks about doing that here. So, yay. All of these things do. They require us to get rid of our pride. They require us to stop thinking what other, caring what other people think. Or thinking what they care. That's what I started to say. <laughs> stop caring what other people think. Care only about what God thinks. And, you know, it strikes me as interesting that we are in the church. And now that y'all, you know, you're accountable for what you know. So now that you know all this, I expect it to be a much livelier place in the future. It's going to be awesome. Woohoo! <laughs> and so, but, you know, in a place like this where we all love the Lord... This should be the norm. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That should be the norm. It should be the people who are just sitting there. Now, if you're not physically able, I get that. But if you're physically able, <laughs> it should be the people who are just, you know, not really into it that should be thinking, hey, maybe I'm supposed to be doing that, <laughs> right? And the, here's something interesting. Uh, the kids, the young people, and the children, when they got back from camp this summer, what did they say to me? Why don't we worship like we do at camp? Why don't we worship like we do at camp? Everybody's down front. They're dancing. They're so excited. We could be that. I'm trying. <laughs> so I just want to encourage y'all, just saying, that would be an awesome thing. You know how much that would bless my heart. But more than that, you know how much that would bless God's heart? If we started tossing down our pride and worshiping the Lord with abandon. So listen, you know, Karen, Pastor Karen, um, I was raised in a preacher's home. I'm a preacher's kid. And, but it was a different denomination, a much calmer denomination. It was rare that I would hear or see these things. I mean, we sang every week, but you didn't see anybody dancing. <laughs> you didn't see anybody on their face. You know, it was a very, very calm denomination. I learned about Jesus there. I am not complaining. I'm so grateful. But, um, but it was totally different than what I see now in God's Word. So when I was 21, I married the handsome Brian Wiseman. Yay. And then I started attending Assembly of God churches because he was raised more like this. And so we attended churches in Tulsa, and then we moved to this area, and we've been at Ponca City Assembly for a long time, except when we went into ministry, went to Branson and Pawnee. But, um, but we've been a part of this church for a long time. And so early on when we were married, and here's the confession part, if any of you ever look at me or any of us and you think, is that really necessary? Must you dance? Must you cry? Must you lift your hands? Must we sing that again? Must you raise your hands? Must you, must you, must you? That was me. So I know sometimes people look at me and think, what a freak you are. <laughs> I know they do because I was that person once. But I don't care. <laughs> I don't want to scare anybody by any means, but I love God 
more than I care about what you think. So um, I realized then, after a while, that I really needed to grow in the Lord. And I began digging deeper. And I finally opened my heart to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I highly recommend uh, to everyone. But God's Word and the Holy Spirit and my husband, he used to teach on praise and worship, um, opened my eyes to freedom in praise and worship. Unashamed, even undignified, like David, our example, who found the beat, found the heartbeat of God. I want to touch God's heart with my worship. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not that I just want to dance. It's about God likes to see me dance for him. There is a scripture that the true meaning of is it is of it is that he spins about with joy and dances and sings over us. It would be easier to not raise my hands, to not dance, to not kneel. But then it wouldn't be a sacrifice of praise. Once I fell more in deeply in love with the Lord and surrendered my pride, now I love worshiping God lavishly and biblically, following the instructions that he's given, given us in his word. He's done so much for me, I must praise him. I can't stand still. You might have noticed that. I can't stand still. I will not be quiet. He deserves all of my love and my praise. All of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So is your goal to get close enough to God to hear his heartbeat? To find the beat? To be a man or a woman after God's own heart? I challenge you to seek to be a person after God's own heart. If you want to be a person after God's own heart, you've got to seek the beat to find it. The Bible says... Luke 11, 9 and 10, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, the door will be open. Deuteronomy 4:29 says, but if from there you seek the Lord, your God, you will find him. If... You seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. I want to encourage you to open your heart and your mind to be available for whatever God wants you to do, what the Lord wants you to do. I'm about ready to close. I hope you were blessed by Pastor Bardwell's message. Join us anytime at pcachurch.com and every Sunday at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City.